The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Find out why Alex may be wearing different hats. And it's not just because of his fading hairline. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex. And Wade, it's his, he's it. It's his turn to take his uh, family vacation trip. And he's visiting his mama. So uh, today I'm joined by Ryan Walter from RIA Lawyers. Hey, Ryan, how are you? I'm great, Alex. How are you? Thank you for having me on, by the way. I'm pretty good, man. No, no, it's my, my absolute pleasure. Uh, you know, who is Ryan and why are we having him on? As you know, we did a, a pretty lengthy arc on uh, contractual income annuities, and we went through all the flavors and, and then some, right? Uh, in addition, we've been doing stuff on investment management previous to that, and uh, we've gotten a lot of questions from uh, from our listeners. As, as you know, we have, we probably break down about two-thirds consumers, one-third advisors, and a lot of the questions from consumers had to do with the actual process of purchasing an annuity, if you will, who to do it with. And the actual process of how is it to work with an advisor to implement the portfolio? And and there were some questions that I kind of take for granted at, at this point, like what happens to the money? Those kind of questions. And how does it work? And are things safe? And, you know, just terms are being thrown around in terms of types of advisors. And so I thought it'd be great as Wade and I get ready for our next arc, but we want to prep for that a little bit. I think we can do a nice mini arc on like the business of financial advice and how to logistically go about getting it if if this is something you want to consider. Because I, I think there's a, a whole slew of folks that, you know, kind of maybe push off getting an advisor because they're like, oh, well, I don't understand that and, and the heck with it. Or there's folks that are scared, you know, wondering that I make the right decision getting an advisor or, or whatnot. And so I think it behooves everyone to just level set it. And, and plus, Ryan, as I told you earlier, I don't think I've ever heard a podcast Maybe there's a reason, right? <laughs> but I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a podcast about just advice and what are the, what, the business of advice from a compliance standpoint in a manner that's that's just very approachable as opposed to read a 500-page boilerplate document. So enter Ryan. Ryan, take it away, man. You want to give a little bit about yourself and, and the like, yeah. why you're the person to do this? Yeah. So thanks again for having me on here. Um, Ryan Walter, as Alex said. Um, I'm a lawyer uh, for investment advisors. I've been practicing for about 10 years now. I've seen the industry. Uh, I work for broker dealers, uh, registered investment advisors. I've seen it from a, a number of different angles. And now I focus my practice exclusively on helping registered investment advisors with their legal and compliance needs. 
Um, and so that's basically where I'm coming from. I, I've seen the uh, different perspectives of the industry and I've been involved in the inner workings of operations of different uh, firms and, and their legal and compliance programs. Um, and so I, I bring a little bit of that varied insight and, and I work with hundreds of investment advisors across the country currently. I've drafted disclosure documents, client service agreements. Uh, and so I, I kind of know them inside and out. And, and that's kind of, it, it allows me to kind of speak to it at a, uh, explain it, explain to me like I'm five sort of level. Um, because I've just, I've seen different flavors and different, uh, scopes and forms of these relationships and engagements and service offerings and, and fee, uh, structures as well. Um, it's just being able to wrap your head around all, all everything that the industry has to offer can be a handful. Um, and so I think yeah, and just trying to break that down to a simplistic level is kind of what I'm here for. Yeah, and in transparency, uh, as you know, uh, Wade and I are managing principles of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. McLean Asset Management is a traditional wealth management firm, and Retirement Researcher is our educational site. Uh, it's registered as an RIA, but we don't manage assets there. It's just we do so much education that sometimes, you know, we, we, we walk that balance between is this financial advice or not? And so we err on the side of, you know, being conservative about it. So we register as an RIA as well. But Ryan is the the person that really takes care of all of this for us from, from a professional standpoint. And I can attest, he does make it uh, comprehensible for a five-year-old because uh, that's where I'm at when, when it comes to this kind of stuff. <laughs> so uh, I thought, you know, hey, who better, right? And so uh, thank you again, Ryan. Uh, the, the, the first question I, I have to, well, let me put it to you before we get going. What do you think, if you're a consumer, you know, you're a consumer of financial advice and you're looking to take on an advisor or just look into it. What is the number one thing? And forget the whole, oh, read the ADV, which we'll get into, you know, do the, you know, none of this sort of stuff that you would read in some sort of article, the five things to do if you're looking for an advisor. You know, knowing what you know now and you know where all the like potential minds are, what is the number one kind of takeaway you can tell somebody? when looking for an advisor. Yeah. And, and there are, there are a thousand different things you want There's to tons. look at. Yeah, exactly. what, what am I paying? You yourself, what am I getting? If I set all of that aside, because that's going to apply to everybody. If I'm yeah. looking at it for myself, I want somebody I can trust. Uh, I want somebody who I feel good about working with. And that, that gets away from like the hard facts and gets more into the emotional side of the decision-making process. But I want somebody that I can put my money with where I'm not sitting up at night worrying about what's happening to it. I know that it's in good hands. I know that the person that I'm working with is intelligent and knows what they're doing. And that gives me peace of mind uh, to just kind of set it and forget it and not worry about it once I've chosen the advisor that I want to work with. Okay. So there's a level of communication and rapport that that is established. Without that, you're not even like in the door. And, and the reason I like that question is because I don't know. I worked in the restaurant business quite a while during high school and college. And my biggest tell was, frankly, going to the bathroom of a restaurant when it's busy. Yeah. If it's clean, that means that they're on everything, you know, like they're taking care of everything. It's yeah, an interesting that, that, way to look yeah, at that, it. That, yeah. You, you <laughs> see firms that have like these, uh, you know, super expensive, glossy marketing pamphlets and brochures and whatnot that they produce. And that's all that's all great. 
but but who pays for that? It, you know, it comes from the client. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and so I I try and kind of put the the razzle dazzle aside and and make an, a decision more based on like what I'm actually looking for, which is somebody that I enjoy working. No, no, no. That's good. And, and real quick, uh, my, my, my take on that is it's true. Some advisors, they go all out and they get like the, the trophy building, the everything, you know, the, the designer furniture, et cetera, et cetera. I've always felt funny about that simply because you're right. It's being subsidized by the client. And I don't think that's the way to go. I, I, I don't know. I, I think a client wants to make sure that if you wanted to, you could, mm-hmm. but you show restraint in not doing so. And, you know, there's just a general professionalism and that's, that's fine. It, it, it's know, a balance because, you know, you, you <laughs> want your financial advisor to look like they know what they're doing with money. Uh, and, you know, they're not struggling to get by, but um, you also don't want to be wasteful. It's a balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Profligate. Yeah, yeah. So uh, aside from that, <laughs> which I, I don't know, I think there's like cool tells. Uh, I, I, I think something that, our readers ask us a tons of questions about, it, and we, we get a lot of these is, Hey, are you a fiduciary? And, and I think what they're asking with that is what kind of advisor are you? Are you an investment advisor? Are you a broker dealer? Are you a insurance agent? Uh, what, what are the different basic hats that an advisor is? And what does that tell a consumer in terms from an expectation standpoint. Yeah. And I I think it's fair to break them into those three broad categories. You've got registered investment advisors, which I think to a lot of people is what they sort of expect uh, a financial advisor to be. Registered investment advisors can do things like financial planning. Um, They can do discretionary or non-discretionary ongoing management of accounts. They can consult on various different things. When you want to hire a financial professional, I I think what most people have in mind is that they want to hire a registered investment advisor, somebody who will actually manage their money and help them plan for their needs in the future, whatever those needs may be. Uh, You also have the broker-dealer model. Broker-dealers are uh, typically much more um, a sales-oriented role, um, trying to sell particular mutual funds and securities. Um, They can give advice. Uh, the, the what that advice, you know, the subject or the standard of conduct that they're subject to when giving that advice is a little bit different than it is for a registered investment advisor. Uh, broker dealers operate under the best interest standard. Um, investment advisors are fiduciaries by common law. Um, and so it, 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 it depends really on what you need. Uh, and, and what your asset level are, a, a few different things, uh, depend are going to dictate who's going to be a better fit for you. You also have the insurance agent side, insurance for things like fixed annuities, things that are not securities, like variable products would be done through a broker-dealer. Um, but they all serve different purposes. They, they sell different products, different services. They have different compensation structures, and they tend to target different markets. Um, and so the, the professional that you're lo- looking to work with is probably going to be, you're probably going to want to choose that based on the types of service that you're looking to get. Do you want somebody who's going to be there, you know, 365 days out of the year to review your assets, manage your assets, give you planning, make sure you're on track for your planning needs? Do you just need a, a piece of discrete advice, uh, or one particular security that you're looking at? 
Are you looking at annuities, life insurance, uh, those kinds of needs? Uh, and that will kind of drive your decision making in terms of who you want to work with. The, the other factor is that certain professionals could wear more than one hat. Um, you may have people who are representatives of an investment advisor, registered representatives of a broker dealer, and a licensed insurance agent all in the same person. Uh, and in that way, you know, you have the flexibility to engage them in different capacities, um, depending on what your needs are. Uh, well, so, something, something you said that I was going to say, oh, well, what about that? Cause you said, depending on your needs. And so my, uh, my my quick response to that would have been, yeah, but what happens if, you know, with the RISA and everything, which is like, find out how you want to source retirement income, they're discovering that, you know, and so a client wouldn't necessarily know what they, I mean, I, I say this in directionally, right? Obviously, I don't want to, someone will say, yes, I absolutely know what I want, but, you know, absent of those people, uh, a client, a, a an individual may not necessarily know the most optimal strategy for them. Yeah. And so uh, if they walk into an investment advisor, an RIA, that's fee only or whatever, they will get pitched uh, most likely a total return strategy. If they walk into uh, an insurance agent, they will most likely get pitched just sort of contractual income. And so I, I think it stands to reason for me that somebody that's able to provide everything you know, the, the whole cafeteria of, uh, of options would be kind of interesting. But you say to do that, they would have to wear multiple hats, correct? That's right. Somebody who's registered as an investment advisor isn't also uh, qualified or licensed to be able to sell you uh, an insurance product, an annuity or a life insurance uh, product. Uh, those are separate licenses. They have to go through separate examinations and, and training processes, and, and they're subject to different standards of conduct when they're wearing those different hats, whether they're acting as an investment okay. agent. And can you explain those? Because I think where you're going with this is one's, one is functioning as a fiduciary, one's functioning in the best interest, and one's functioning relative to suitability. Yeah, that's basically right. Break that down a bit. Yeah, so on, if you're an investment advisor, if I'm an investment advisor, I am subject to a fiduciary duty in the conduct uh, or in the, the provision of services to you as my client. Um, and so when I give you advice, I, it may not always be totally free from conflict. I think every investment advisor across the country has some degree of conflict of interest in, in rendering some level of advice. Um, but even with that conflict, I number one, I have to make full and fair disclosure of the conflict to you, the client, so that you can uh, kind of assent or, or consent to that conflict. But even then, even after I've made that disclosure, I still have to give the advice that I feel is in your best interest and not subserviate your interest to my own. Um, and that's a little bit different from the broker standard of conduct. Uh, it, it was a much more stark comparison a few years ago. Brokers had been subject to a suitability standard, which was basically just that if I recommend, uh, if I make a, an investment recommendation to you, it has to be suitable to your circumstances, not a super high standard of conduct, but that's been changed recently through regulation best interest. Um, it, it's now a much closer standard for brokers 
when working with clients to an investment advisor than it was before. It's not an exact duplicate. Um, and some people might say it, it is still a somewhat lesser standard of conduct than what, what you would receive from an investment advisor. Um, but again, it's not as stark a difference as it was a few years ago. Insurance agents, um, their standards are, are more or less dictated by state law. There is no like overarching insurance uh, regulatory regime that's in place. But most states uh, tend to follow a suitability standard. So they, they are still at that level where as long as the product that you are recommending as an insurance agent is suitable to the client, then it's okay and it's acceptable and, and you've met your standard of conduct there. Okay. So I, I, I appreciate those definitions, but I, I still think there's a little confusion. And I think even with advisors and, and part of it is because it's a marketing game, you know, right now it's hot to say the word fiduciary, even though I'm sure more than 50% of consumers you know, or like, that's just an amorphous kind of term, yeah. right? I mean, I know what it means grammatically, but I don't know what it means from the jargon of investment advice, you know, kind of thing. What what would you call, so someone goes to, uh, I'm going to say Morgan Stanley, but there's nothing against Morgan Stanley. It's just, a, a, I'm thinking about a, a an institutional, a large broker dealer, right? Someone goes to Morgan Stanley, they, they have an advisor representative there. And that person says, I'm an investment advisor. You know, yep. because I think from the English definition of the word investment advisor, you're advising me on investments. Hence, you're an investment advisor. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yep. But technically, that's not the route or is it like what What do you call? Because so, I because we also get this at my clan. You get prospects coming in and they say, oh, I have an advisor. And you ask them, well, who's that? Oh, it's somebody that comes in once every two years and tells me to keep up with my 401k contributions. Mm-hmm you know, at my company and that's it. Or it's, no, it's somebody at the branch office at Fidelity or that I talk to to transfer assets or, or whatever, right? There's no advice. Or it's somebody at like a Morgan Stanley or a Goldman. where They're not registered as an advisor, but they call themselves advisors. Can you break that down? What happens in those relationships when you're part of this large mothership, if you will, like the Morgan Stanleys, the Smith Barneys, what have you? Yeah, uh, it, it really depends. If you don't work with a particular branch office where you have like dedicated people who you can go in and meet with and, and everybody recognizes each other's faces, it's going to be a lot less of a personal experience uh, in working with these types of shops. You you may call in and, and you're assigned to whoever picks up the phone. That person may or may not be registered depending on you know what the company authorizes them to do over the phone with you. Uh, but, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of luck of the draw in, t- in terms of who you're talking to and how much they can help you out. Um, the, the terminology that they might use to describe their role can be super confusing because there's not always set definitions for who falls into what category. A lot of people will say, I'm a financial advisor. And a financial advisor could mean any of those three categories of professionals that we talked about a few minutes ago. It could be an investment advisor, an advisor, a registered rep at a broker dealer, insurance agent. They all like to use that term. Uh, and so that creates a lot of confusion. Um, if, if they tell me I'm an investment advisor, 
I take that to mean that they are actually the registered, either a registered investment advisor or an investment advisor representative, but in either case being subject to that fiduciary standard. And I feel pretty good about who I'm talking about. I don't, I think that, but I don't think that's the case in practicality. I think if you go to a party or something like that and Ned Ryerson (laughs) from uh, Groundhog's Day, you know, talks to you or whatever, I don't think anyone's going to say I'm an insurance agent. I don't think anyone's going to say, oh, I'm a registered representative for a broker dealer. Mm-hmm. They're going to say I'm a financial advisor because that's just a better sound. It just sounds better. Yeah. Not, not, and that's not, let me be clear here. That's not a nefarious, surreptitious kind of thing they're trying to do. It's just it's the easiest the English way language to convey what that. you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a technical difference. Yes. You know, with regards to that. So just FYI, when, it, yeah, no. Sorry, if, that, if that is the response, is I'm a financial advisor. If you if you really have interest in working with that person, I think the natural follow up question is, what does that mean exactly? Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who, 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 I give advice about finance. Yeah, it, no, but but I, just, you you want to know? You know, are you working for a broker dealer? Are you working for an investment advisor, insurance company, agency? Uh, or, or more than one of those things, because that, that's really, it's going to tell you a few things. It's probably going to tell you the services that they can offer. It's going to tell you what standard of conduct they're going to be held to when providing those services. And it's going to probably give you a good indication of how they're going to be compensated for those services, whether from a, an ongoing fee potentially for an investment advisor, uh, or commission based compensation for a broker dealer or insurance company. Have you signed up for Retirement Researcher's Retirement Income Challenge yet? It starts next week, Monday, August 21st at noon Eastern, and it's filling up fast. Don't miss your chance to join Wade, Alex, and I in this free four-day challenge where we walk with you and discover how you approach retirement income, where you stand relative to your retirement goals, and what you can be doing to bridge that gap. And then make sure that your retirement is on track. Think of it like a pop quiz for your retirement plan. We can only accept a limited number of participants for this challenge. And like I said, we're filling up fast. So head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast to learn more and find out how you can join Wade, Alex, and I. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge. Yeah. Now, something you say that I think is kind of funny uh, when I read it. Okay, when you give this this advice, you're wearing your best interest hat. Oh, when you give this advice, you're wearing your fiduciary hat. Uh, when you wear, you know, when you get, you know, and then you get suitability hat. I don't, I don't. It's it's not as clearly delineated. I think that's what people say, right? But you know, like at McLean, we're at the point now where we will offer everything, but we, you know, we let the client know transparency. You know, this is this is what could happen. This and that and that, but. I got to say, just as a general matter, I mean, we just go under the auspices of, you know, competent wise, what's the best practice, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, contractual income is, is, is provides a better outcome or provides an appropriate outcome. But that's that's fine with us. So there, there's that piece to it. And, and and call it a day. We don't kind of play games in terms of this hat or that hat. Uh, can you talk about that sort of musical chair games, musical game of musical chairs that that advisors can play that that uh, consumers should maybe uh, look out for. Yeah, um, 
it it's maybe not always quite that simple as saying I'm talking to you as my yeah, insurance exactly. agent right now, and and so you you're not going to be able to hold the fiduciary standard over my head when I talk to you about insurance products, and and that's because a lot of investment advisors it, it investing is kind of a multidisciplinary field, right? So you kind of need to have expertise in a number of different areas in order to give a sort of uh, all-encompassing or holistic take and advice uh, to a particular client. Um, and so where I'm going with that is that when when I'm acting as an investment advisor, I may do things like financial planning uh, or I may do things like give insurance recommendations. Uh, and when I'm doing that, I'm still doing that as an investment advisor under the fiduciary standard of conduct. It, it, when I go to make the sale of an insurance product, I have to do that as a licensed insurance agent. That's what the license is for, is to allow me to engage in that sale. But it doesn't mean that I haven't given fiduciary advice about insurance while I was wearing my investment advisor hat. And and so it is really it's tough to draw a line in the sand to say, I stop being an investment advisor now and I start being an insurance agent or broker dealer rep. Uh, and so I think a lot of, or not a lot of firms, but firms who value servicing the client and doing the right thing by the client, I, I think kind of tend to do uh, a lot of what you alluded to, Alex, in terms of, you know, we, we just want to do the right thing for the client. It doesn't ma- matter what hat I'm wearing. The client, their, their needs and goals come first and foremost. Uh, my needs are secondary to that. And I'm just going to, I'm going to assume that I'm wearing the fiduciary hat all the time, regardless of whether I am. Or yeah. No, 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 I, I agree. And that goes back to even your first point, which is that's where trust comes in. Obviously trust, but verify, but that's where, that's where trust comes in. You just, you just got to feel comfortable about, about what's being received. You know, uh, what do you see happening? Well, there's a couple things. I, 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 I'm going to take this off of off, off target a little bit because we we're talking about the three types. But it, in the grand scheme of things, it's helping consumers be informed, uh, informed uh, consumers, if you will. Uh, there's an advisor because there's a game advisors sometimes play within uh, warehouses and warehouses are like the large broker dealers where they jump from one firm to the other. Could that be a tell to a consumer about uh, something going on in the back end? I'm not saying it is, but could it be? Because I I, I think that's something that, you know, we read the industry press and there's always like this team jumped ship to to this other yards brokerage. And then through two years later, that same team jumped ship to another one. And there's kind of a game playing on, which I, I think is, I, I don't think it's necessarily good for the underlying consumer, but you want to talk about that? Because that could be a tell for somebody. It, it could. It's just hard to, to kind of discern what it, what it's a tell of. You know, are, sure. is that group a bad decision maker and they keep uh, hitching their wagon to the wrong stars, you know, and, and they just make mistake after mistake in terms of what kind of firm they want to associate with? Or is it an issue with the team in terms of not being able to fit in anywhere, not being able to follow policies or, or rules that they put in place? It, it's tough to tell based on that alone, but it is a tell that was, there's something. I was I was going from the – you see, you're, you're a much nicer person than I am. <laughs> I was thinking from the point of view of it's never about the money. It's always about the money. And it's just – 
you know yeah. they're, they're getting you know the large the large firms are duking it out for assets mm-hmm. and they're just incentivizing overly incentivizing teams every so often they'll, and they'll you know give the you, clients have to go through the, hey we'll, we'll yeah. give you a half a million dollar forgivable loan if you transfer your book to, to our brokerage firm and that forgiveness comes after like two years of of with minimal production thresholds to reach that that's a very clear incentive to get them to change shop not necessarily having anything to do with with what's best for their client base um Yes. It, it's, and that's one of these, I don't know, that's one of those, keep that in mind. I've always think this is total BS, you know, when, when, you, when you see those things in the in the trade paper, but, you know, that that's fine. So, so, so far from the standpoint of types of advisors, you're saying, and let me just kind of reiterate, tell me, they're investment advisors, registered investment advisors. There's broker dealers, which are kind of registered reps on, within the, that broker dealer. The broker dealer kind of gives them guardrails to work within and you have insurance agents which are those selling insurance products that you know that you know that, that are just contracts effectively is that about right that's about right yeah and the lines get blurred all the time and you'll see some things that sound like insurance products that an insurance agent can't sell they have variable annuities things like that yeah because they can go down in value things that can have the have the potential to go down in value will not be sold by just an insurance agent. That insurance agent has to have some sort of affiliation with a broker dealer or, or something like that. Right. Yeah. The, the the overall point though, yeah, you're right. Three different categories, each filling different holes in the industry or, or different needs for clients and, and each being subject to different regulatory standards, service models, and compensation arrangements. Okay, and the regulatory standards we we kind of discuss being the fiduciary, best interest, and suitability. Right. Uh, is there any other regulatory standard that maybe I may have missed? Um, no, I mean that that is the standard when they're providing. <laughs> That's advice. kind of what you meant, right? Yeah. Okay. When they're providing okay. advice, those are the three standards that need to be met. Okay. Then an- another question I'd like to discuss with this. Oh, and by the way, by the time this comes out, we'll have a handout. We'll have a little cheat sheet. For anyone, if they want to download it, it'll be in the show notes. You know, knock yourself out. Uh, a question that I, that comes up, it came up two or three times. And I was surprised because I thought, hmm, they, they just don't understand the business of advice. And and, and that's not a negative. I, I don't see why they would, actually. And you don't see it written a lot. I don't see this written a lot. And that's the point of custody. And, and what I want to get into here is when someone asks me, you know, what to tell, in terms of do I go into this or not? I think your point about rapport and, and all of that is, you know, the trust issue is 100% on the mark. But when it comes to a logistical standpoint, I always tell them custody is, I think, important. Because in my world, advisors that have custody of the assets, that's where things – and by custody, I don't mean because they have limited power of attorney or, or – I, I mean like custody where they can direct money. I think that's – to me, that's a red flag, not because that person is doing something wrong. It's a red flag because the potential for to do something nefarious, you know, is now increased by orders of magnitude. And now that's that's just an opinion. That's not a fact what I'm stating or anything like that. That's just my own kind of spider senses. Uh, do you want to maybe break down the whole custody thing and the reason is because a client had not a client uh somebody listening to the podcast wrote in hey i'm interested in getting an annuity but i don't want to use an advisor 
because they can steal my money. You know, effectively something like that. Yep. And so I realized right then and there they don't understand the the concept of custody. So yeah, take it away. And, and I think you have to understand the way the industry works before you can even appreciate custody. When you hire an investment advisor, most of the time you're you're hiring you're going to be hiring two people. You're going to be hiring the investment advisor to advise on what should be done with your money. You're also probably going to be hiring a broker dealer to actually hold your money. Most of the time, the investment advisor won't take custody of your assets, your funds or securities. Custody in this case, meaning like actual physical possession of your funds or securities. Most of the time, that's go- that's always going to be held at a bank or broker dealer, and they're going to be the ones who are transacting and holding those assets. The investment advisor, you're going to give, uh, as Alex said, a limited power of attorney to authorize the investment advisor to talk back and forth with the broker to say, here's what we should be doing. We should be trading this. We should be buying this, selling this, and and rebalancing in this fashion. Uh, and and even and one thing real quick, Ryan, because you're, you're introducing the word broker dealer and investment advisor. An independent investment advisor, the custodian is a broker dealer, but we we're not we're not registered reps of that broker dealer. Right. We're independent. You're totally so separate. This is just going back to that previous conversation. Yeah, totally separate. No affiliation. You may hire Ryan Walter Advisors. And we contract or we have an arrangement with Schwab, with Fidelity, with whoever a qualified custodian might be uh, to allow us to put client assets in their custody, totally divorced from me and my ability to really do anything except what you as the client authorize me to do. And then and then with that, so from a custodial standpoint, McLean, let's say we have 100 clients, mm-hmm. we, we can log into... We, we, we custody largely with TD Ameritrade, Schwab, and Fidelity. TD Ameritrade and Schwab merge, so let's just say Schwab, right? So we can interface Schwab, and we'll see our complete client list. We don't log into every single account. We, we see they have their technology for specifically for independent advisors that allows sort of a one-to-many uh, workflow. And so it, it just from a it just makes it very smooth that way. We're not like individually going into your login account and and doing things. It's more we get an aggregate view of all of our clients within that custodian, and then we can kind of group things together. And I just wanted to throw that in yeah, there. Yeah, and and the custodian. I'm going to use Schwab in this case just for simplicity. Schwab's not yeah. going to let me as an advisor do anything without with those assets without me demonstrating that I'm authorized to do so. Most of the time, they'll want to see what does the advisory agreement with the client look like? What does it authorize you to do? And it may authorize you to do a few things, to trade in the account, uh, to pull uh, my fee from the account. Um, And it may, either in the advisory agreement or in a separate document, it may authorize me to move money between certain pre-identified accounts. Um, Yeah. And and move money would be if you're taking distributions from a portfolio – you know, there's a standing wire, there's standing wire information, directions yes. that once a month, whatever, 5,000 goes out to this bank account. Right. Um, and, but this is all to kind of illustrate how the relationship is going to work so that people can understand that if I don't have custody as an investment advisor, uh, custody is reported on the form ADV, which is an investment advisor's public disclosure document. All registered investment advisors have one. 
and they're all publicly available online at i or at advisorinfo.sec.gov. Um, if I say that I don't have custody as an investment advisor, that means I truly don't take possession or control or ownership over any client funds or securities. They're all held at a broker. That broker's procedures and and technology and uh, and staff prevent me from doing anything inappropriate in theory with those assets. Yeah. Um, because I don't have custody. And so- and so something inappropriate would be Ryan all of a sudden, uh, I'm a client of Ryan and I've got a million dollars in the portfolio and Ryan and I have standing transfers into my personal bank account because I'm taking distributions. But then Ryan all of a sudden says, you know what, I'm going to take $10,000 and send it to some foreign account somewhere. Yep. That, that, one, that won't work. I'm trying to be like, you know, what's an example where, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a criminal, right? That That's. That just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. The custodian you know, that, that, won't allow all it. the things Yeah, all the things that happen that you read in the news happen largely when somebody has custody of the assets because they're serving the advisors also so, serving as their own bank. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and so that's not that's that's not a good there's instances where from a business model standpoint it makes sense for the advisor, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, you know, someone wants bill paying, someone wants certain things, right? But absent of, of, of kind of like logistical things, I, it, it's just it's something as a firm we, we don't we don't want to have that that kind of authority because it's just it's, it's just a, a PITA, you know, kind of thing. It's just not worth the aggravation, nor do we want that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and just I mean, to be clear, a, a firm that designates on their form ADV that they have custody, yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean that they're stealing from people, right? A firm that has custody, <laughs> like actual legitimate custody, has to subject those assets to an annual surprise examination by a CPA. So there, there's oversight and controls that are in place for firms that actually take custody. But what it means is that the risk and the kind of um, uh, what do I want to say? You know, that, that, that carrot is hanging out there for the advisor. You know, it's dangling over their head. Um, and, and so it, the risk increases because you're entrusting the same person to manage your assets and to safe keep them. And, and when somebody has like that sort of level of, of control over your funds, it doesn't mean that they're going to do anything. It just means that the risk that they, that they could do something is heightened. Yeah. And, and, and I think. I, this is me, right? This is my, and I, this is just an opinion that that kind of all those caveats. I think when things go south, when you read those stories of an advisor steals twenty million from a client, I don't think it happens in one shot. I, I I think something goes off on a trade. They want to save face, so they kind of do some work around, right? Mm-hmm. And it works out, right? Works and once. so they're like, "Oof, I dodged the bullet! Yeah. I dodged the bullet!" You know that, that kind of thing, right? And so then. They make a mistake five years later, they do the same thing, but it doesn't work out. And so they double down and they double down. And before you know it, they're in this hole. Yep. I, I, I I think that's how it happens. I, I, I think it happens slowly and then all at once. I think that kind sense of, from that, that first time it emboldens you uh, to know that you can get away with it or believe you can get away with it. And it just compounds from there. You know, the next time it happens, you're going to do the same thing. And until you get caught or into, until it gets too big uh and blown up uh that it's it's unavoidable 
Yeah. Um, you're, you're just going to keep doing. But but again, that only hap- That can only happen though when the advisor takes custody of the assets. That's right. You know, it doesn't happen for the. I don't even know what the percent is, but uh, an advisor that doesn't have custody, it's a good. It's it's a to me, it's a needed checks and balance. Because it, it that's where Schwab, TD, Fidelity, whoever you have as a custodian serves as as, as that uh, you know wall, if 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 you will, I, which is which is good. I like the way you put that. A check and balance, I think, is exactly the way you want to look at it. Having yeah. too many people, or having one person or one group with too much responsibility and authority, just invites abuse. Have you signed up for Retirement Researchers Retirement Income Challenge yet? It starts next week, Monday, August 21st at noon Eastern, and it's filling up fast. Don't miss your chance to join Wade, Alex, and I in this free four-day challenge where we walk with you and discover how you approach retirement income, where you stand relative to your retirement goals, and what you can be doing to bridge that gap. And then make sure that your retirement is on track. Think of it like a pop quiz for your retirement plan. We can only accept a limited number of participants for this challenge. And like I said, we're filling up fast. So head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast to learn more and find out how you can join Wade, Alex, and I. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge. Now, this is just as assets, but there's other types of you're, – you're, you're also deemed as having custody – when certain things happen and at McLean, we've been deemed as having custody when certain things happen and, you know, it, you just get an audit, you know, and you go from there. And, and some of those things could be a client sends you a check to, to then forward on to fidelity or to whatever the custodian, you can only have that check for so many days yep. in your, in, in fact, you don't want them to send you checks. You want them to send them directly to the to the custodian yep. you know we've had many times where we're telling the client no you know don't so we take it very very seriously but it could also be password having access to a password that you could potentially direct assets to somewhere else and it, you know that happens if somebody wanted that has a 401k account and they want you to look at their 401k account mm-hmm. and you've known this person for 10 years and they give you their password you know that kind of that's that's a no-no you know from from our vantage point uh do you want to I mean, is it worth just talking briefly about the different types of custody? Yeah. You know, as opposed to there's full blown, like, you know, I'm actually a bank as well as a an advisor. And then there's these kind of things in the periphery. Yeah. There, and there are a lot of different ways that custody come up, can come up. The SEC would generally say that custody is like the control or possession or, or ownership of funds or securities or the ability to get into one of those positions where you have control or, or uh, authority to do something other than authorized trading in the account. And so custody could include like if my investment advisor can debit their fee uh, for every quarter, every month, whatever the frequency is, that that is technically a form of custody. Um, if they have check rating authority over my account, that could be a form of custody. Um, the move money authority that Alex mentioned, you know, being able to go from account A to account B, that's a form of custody. Uh, we can get into like how those are disclosed on the ADV when um, you know when we touch on the we'll ADV. We'll do that in the, when we get to um, it, yeah. But yeah, you know, being a trustee, executor, conservator, um, being in possession. If somebody sends you like the example you used, if if somebody sends you a check, you you become in possession of that check. You have custody over that check potentially. Um, 
the the password authority, if you have anything, if that password and user ID gives you the ability to do anything other than trade, it potentially triggers custody. Um, it really, the one you want to look out for, though, is the custody that's subject to the annual surprise CPA exam. That is specifically a form of custody that's disclosed on the form ADV. And that's the form of custody that the SEC has identified as most likely to be ripe for abuse. Uh, and that's why they have that separate CPA uh, oversight that's being conducted on a surprise basis every year by an independent CPA that doesn't have like an affiliation or, or material relationship yeah. with the advisor. Um, so those are the ones you really so, want to be on the lookout for and be uh, extra. So then for the, for the gentleman that asked me the question that asked, wait, and I, the question wrote it in, they're looking for an advisor, but they're, 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 they're hesitant because they don't know if uh, you know, the assets are safe. Look at the custody. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying because you have custody, they're not safe, but not you know, an advisor that doesn't have custody, that does really, that does not have access to your assets to do as they please. You know, that's right. You know, other than, you know, there's trading discretion for investments, but that's why you're using an advisor to begin with. Right. Absent of that, you're and fine. And the SEC looks at it in a lot of the same terms. You know, the SEC requires firms that have custody, actual custody subject to the surprise CPA audit. They make firms disclose that on the ADV and the SEC uses that to assess that firm's level of risk to determine how often the SEC is going to examine them, what specifically they're going to look at when they are examining their firm. They, they view that as one of the top uh, uh, risk indicators that they look at when assessing a firm's risk profile. And, and you should too. If they're okay. looking at it that way, a client or, or a prospect should yeah. look at the same way. You brought up a good point. Uh, the SEC exam. Uh, I'm not so sure people realize this, but yeah, advisors like McLean, independent investment advisors, they're subject to periodic exams uh, as well, just so you know. And it, it wouldn't hurt to ask the, the advisor when was the last time they, they had an audit, you know, fr from that vantage point or if anything came out of it. But Ryan, uh, it just because I want to actually get to, we're gonna we're gonna chop this up into another episode where we get into the ADV because that's the brochure that an advisor gives somebody, and I think that's really the how you get down to the brass tacks of things. But what the the investment an audit by the SEC in like two minutes or so, what 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 does that entail? What's the outcome of those things? You know, et cetera. How can a consumer use that to become more con informed about, you know, engaging in services? Yeah, two broad categories. You've got cycle exams, which are just routine, typical examinations that the SEC conducts. They'll put firms on a different cycle exam schedule based on how they perceive that firm's or how risky they perceive that firm to be based on a number of different things, including potentially custody. Um Cycle exams are not really focused on any particular subject matter. They're looking at marketing materials, trading data, the actual advice that's being uh, given and how appropriate that advice is for that particular client, um, whether there's anything going on in the advisor's uh, personal securities accounts that would indicate that the advisor is kind of taking advantage of clients by trading ahead or front running, something like that. But, but it's a general exam looking at a lot of different topics without any particular focus for the most part. And, and then sometimes you'll have focus, focused exams. 
something that the SEC, they have a particular subject area that they're looking for. These are generally not done on a cycle. They're done pursuant to like market events or particular, you know, big headline grabbing events. Um, and so you, know, you might look at, um, use of signal or Snapchat by investment professionals. That, that is one of like the current industry hot button issues and, and something that the SEC is looking at with specific focus for particular firms. Um, so if you're asking about a, new, a firm's exam history, you want to know kind of about what type of exam they've undergone, how frequent or how frequently they undergo exams. That'll give you a little bit of insight into how the SEC perceives that firm's uh, risk profile to be. Um, and then what the outcomes of those exams are. Did they get deficiencies? Deficiencies are not a huge deal. Almost every exam ends in a deficiency letter of some sort. It says, here's some things you need to address. Um, not a big deal. Or did it proceed from there? Did it get to an investigation? Did it go to enforcement? Did they have to settle any charges? Did they have to go to court? Um, there, there's a lot of ways these things could shake out. Uh, but you want to kind of get an idea for what types of exams they've been subject to, when those took place, and what the general outcome was. Uh, and that'll give you a good sense for what the regulators think of the firm, uh, and that can guide your thinking. Yeah, and this is this is me, my own editorial here. This is what gets me sometimes, where I think going back to the the the, the box store advice, sort of the big registered reps that are you see in Morgan Stanley or, or whatnot, I mean, it you were talking about deficiencies and the like. I I think sometimes people don't realize because we cust a, a, a firm like McLean, an independent advisory firm. You know, we, we custody with Schwab, Fidelity, and uh, TD, so we have those resources. It's it's not a resource game where we're a stable. They're not we're not going anywhere. You know, kind of thing. We have every the assets are safe, whatever. Then people view Morgan Stanley as no, no, this is safe. You know, because it's big and and the like. But the reality is, and this is nothing against Morgan Stanley. I think it, it, anyone that has a lot of folks, you kind of see these things. But what gets me is you you read the ADV, and we'll get to, it, and you see their deficiency letters, and it's you realize quickly they 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 settle things a lot because it, it, it's just cost of doing business for yep. them. You know, they have hundreds and hundreds of these things. You know, of, of, of fines that they've paid because of just you know broken arrows in in their system, if you will, but. A firm like McLean, if we get something like that, it just shuts our doors down. So we're sort of uberly vigilant. No, it does, you know, uh, uh, about stuff like that. That I, I, I want to say as much as people think, oh, no, going to like a Goldman, we'll be safe there. I don't know, man. You know, relative to like the behavior and an advisor and the like that, I'd say look at the look at their history you know, of what you're specifically talking about. And, and you'd be surprised because when, when they pay, and, not the, and no one in particular now I'm talking about, but when one of these types of firms pays a $200 million fine and, you know, and then the follow-up sentence is, it will not affect earnings in this upcoming <laughs> quarter. That's all you need to know. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of what they view as cost of doing business versus, you know, providing advice that, you know, is on point. And- I don't know. That, again, that's my editorial. Yeah, and, and fines can have different flavors. Fines and settlements have different <laughs> flavors. Like you could, okay, you used uh, inappropriate language in marketing material that was kind of overly flowery. <laughs> I would be guilty of that. I, I, oh, 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 like that. I thought you meant like curse words. No, no, no. no. I got you Just now. like we're, we were overly complimentary of ourselves in a marketing piece. And we settled that with the SEC. I, 
I don't think that's super egregious myself. If I'm if I'm kind of trying to vet out an investment advisor, uh, you tried to push the the boundaries a little too much, and they slapped your wrist for it. Whatever. Um, the firms that have been found or, or who have settled allegations of, of fraud, uh, or in terms of how they <laughs> how they have managed actual client accounts, where they put you know eighty five year old grandma in three x uh, you know um, S and yeah. P, gotcha, yeah. like that. Uh, those are the things that I want to look out for. I'm not looking at at strictly at the dollars involved in a settlement. I'm looking at what the actual facts at, and substance of the allegations or findings were um no i got you all right i mean that's good man uh why don't we do this why don't we 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 shut it down here and i i I think the next episode is really is integral to to folks into the world of advice and and it's really breaking down what's in a brochure that that an advisor is is having to to give to their their prospects and frankly on a yearly basis to all of their clients. I, I think that really is when it gets to the brass tacks, you know, you can tell me you're an advisor, you can tell me you're a fiduciary, you can tell me whatever, you know, you like hot dogs, you know. But at the end of the day, let me see the ADV. Yep. Right? Exactly. Cause that all right. Uh all right, all right, Ryan. Thank you. Just hang tight. Uh we'll stop it and through the magic of editing, we'll pretend it's a completely new interview in about five minutes all right Sounds good. hey hey everyone thank you for listening in uh more default remember we're in the show notes we have a download in terms of what you know what what the deal is with regards to these categories that we talked about today and we'll put a link to uh ryan and and how to get a hold of him you know specifically for the advisors that are listening in all righty thank you very much Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.